0: This is a HeadGum Original.
1: na 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 finale
2: livestream. That wasn't good. That wasn't good. It was perfect. It was amazing.
1: Lauren and I... Ooh, baby, we are so excited to share that our newcomer season six finale will be a live stream event. We finally figured out what it was, and we're celebrating our journey through Gotham City on Thursday, March 28th at 5 p.m. Pacific time.
2: Join us and very special guests, Taryn Killam and Bobby Moynihan, for a fun and unforgettable
1: Batman themed improv show you won't want to miss. Get your tickets now at moment.co slash newcomers. That's moment.co slash newcomers. And it'll be available for seven days following
2: the live stream. So if you can't watch it live, get your tickets anyway and watch it on your own time. We'll see you
0: there. Yeah.
2: Am
3: I dead? You are banished from death. A curse binds us together. Who are you? I shaped the history of Middle-earth. I crafted the rings of power. Caleb greatest smith of the Second Age. Sauron deceived you into making the rings. I both you and your kin. I had a family once, and I buried them along with everyone I even knew. Perhaps that pain is what
0: connects us.
4: Very soon, the Dark Lord and his army will
0: march all over Mordor. I have seen Sauron's sons. They bring much suffering. Can the curse be broken? Destroy the Black Hand and his followers and claim Mordor.
3: How? How do I do this?
0: Your power.
3: What do you know of the Black Hand?
0: Huh? It's not about rules. Come close if you want the Black Hand.
3: What would you know that all these other dead orcs didn't? Come, let's roll. Right. I do not trust him.
0: We're lucky to have you.
3: Don't be blinded by your emotions. I'll have your guts. <laughs> Where are the servants of the Dark Lord. Kill him. <laughs>
1: another episode of Newcomers, I'm Nicole Bayer. I'm Lauren Lapkus. This is our 16th episode of our second season. We're working our way through exploring the Lord of the Rings franchise. For the very first time, we've got the help of nerds, super fans, and people who've contributed uh, to the to the franchise. We've watched Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Hobbit trilogies. We watched that fucking biopic. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute.
3: <laughs> Hold on. Before we progress.
1: Mm-hmm biopic yeah the the, do you say biography
3: biopic this is my autobiography oh so
2: you think it's biopic biopic you're actually
3: wrong (laughs) okay the 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 small the small of image of like moving it's not it's not it's not a movie file but it's just like a looping image that you can reply to someone's snarky tweet what do you what do you call what
1: a reply
3: no, the little image, the little image that you use, that is is just like a repeating image. It's not a movie. Three
1: oh, like little a, letters. Are you GIF? What would you call it? A GIF. Are you going to try GIF. to say it's a GIF?
3: No, I am not. Oh. It's a graphic, <laughs> entertainable file. So we agree on that. But bi-
1: biopic? I don't get that. I think most people say biopic. But yeah.
3: it's a biographical picture. Is that what it is? Like, we're going to the pictures. Like, we were in the 20s. So. And-
1: I think so. Well, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a biopic. A biopic is in, is the most insane thing. Well, let's just introduce <laughs> our guest. It's Troy Baker
3: coming out with the hot takes already, just like <laughs> boom,
1: oh, <laughs> you know. Just uh, I I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's just called a biopic. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> Troy Baker's known for his roles as Joel Miller mm. in uh, the action adventure survival horror game The Last of Us, and Booker Dewitt in the first person shooter Bioshock in Infinite.
0: Bioshock. Um, <laughs>
1: Uh, I was going to uh, say, I think it's Bioschek. <laughs> is it bi- Bioschek? No, no, of
3: course not. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my this hypocrisy enters in. This is the hardest intro in.
1: I've ever done.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, most recently, he provided the voice of Bruce Banner in the 2020 action role-playing brawler Marvel's Avengers and reprised his role as Joel Miller in The Last of uh, Last of Us Part Two. He's also released music under his known name as well as with his band, Window to the Abbey. Dude, you went hard on Google. Troy, hello. Thank you for being here. Hi, Troy.
3: I'm really hoping that you wait to bring me up, like, visually until just now so that all of that banter... Just like happens, like this disembodied the voice. the thing.
1: There's no visual there's aspect There's no visual to this component, podcast. which is
2: why we, uh, I's why I'm in bed.
3: In my mind, there <laughs> is. But I got this fancy camera just for this. Do you guys it, understand? It's,
1: that's nice
2: for you. I'm and so it does sorry. make it easy to see you, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That is good. Um, well, okay. So today we're talking about the 2014 video game, Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor. And we watched a theatrical version of this game on YouTube, which essentially combines all the cut scenes and only the very most important gameplay moments into a two and a half hour movie. Oh, my God. And we're going to link what? in the show notes. To, to, I'm glad you're shocked. We're going <laughs> to link in the show notes to take you to the exact version we watched. <laughs> Um, of course, spoilers for the films are and the game. I mean, I don't know if there's spoilers in the game, whatever, but we're going to talk about everything. So if you have a problem with that, you are listening to the wrong show, but, yes. um, yeah. So we, we, we watched as much as we could of yes. what is, I guess, a movie of a video game, which is okay, a
3: shadow of war or shadow of Mordor. Mordor. Mordor the first one. Mordor. Mordor okay.
2: Oof, yeah. Sorry. And so I guess someone edited it into, a story without any of the like what you would be like running around and killing people or whatever um, oh see that's
3: such a reductive okay go ahead <laughs> well yeah ahead. i mean we, go, we
2: i think it would be more satisfying to play the video game than it would be mm-hmm. sort of to watch more. it but i think 14 million people i noticed watched that yeah a lot thing, of people. so i was really more surprised. people
3: watched that video game than bought the video game
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's insane
3: Lower barrier, barrier of entry.
2: <laughs> so you are a self-professed fan of Lord of the Rings. Yes. So how did you become a fan of the franchise?
3: I was a wee lad growing up with a f- nerd for a father, by and large.
2: Ah, nice. So
3: I, yeah, I didn't do all of the the cool kid stuff. Um, going outdoors was typically done under protest or duress. I like that. Um, But... I was actually thinking about this because um, I was like, what was my like first entry? Like Liam O'Brien, who, how do I begin? I'll start with how I got into Lord of the Rings. And then I want to tell kind of some of the other subsequent stories of of how this, that, that specific game was made because it's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So I... Um, typically on a Friday night, my parents would be chock full of me, especially. Um, and so they're like, you should go spend the night with your grandparents because that's what every nine-year-old wants to go do is go (laughs) hang with their grandparents. But I actually have some really, really cool memories like of, um, I watched fantasy Island and love boat like every Friday night with my, with my grandparents. And then I would actually sleep in, um, my, my dad was a twin. Um, so they had their back room, their old bedroom. That's the room that I slept in.
2: Were they and identical?
3: Identical twins. Did you get um, confused
2: when you were a yeah. kid about that? Never, and did they because play tricks they were, on you?
3: No. They were so opposite. So opposite. <laughs> wow. Um, to this day, still opposite, but also very similar. Um, There's this
2: really cute video of this little baby being passed between identical twin brothers, like her dad and uncle. And she's like so confused. And then she looks at one and she's like, "Mm," and then she looks at her and then she goes to him and then he holds her. And then she looks back and goes back to the other one. And it's so cute.
3: This is how he traumatized the child.
2: (laughs) It would be very confusing.
3: Every person is my father. Uh, So uh, small beds and very, very small room. But on the far side of the room, there was this like, uh, I think it was a desk that my grandfather had built and, um, it was like a long desk that obviously two people could sit at. And then above it were, were this, uh, long row of bookshelves. And on this bookshelf was like, I wish I had these books because a lot of them probably were first gen, uh, first generation, um, Star Trek, uh, were first <laughs> editions, um, including the Hardy Boys and Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, um, like all of this, like cool. Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, um, all of the really cool, like nerdy, 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 nerdy books, and so just one night um, c.s. lewis is where i first read like you know the chronicles of narnia um so like that was my that was my escape because i couldn't do a lot of the things that i wanted to do and like what a lot of the other kids were doing when i was growing up but in these worlds i could imagine that's who i was i, I could be aragorn i could be um peter you know from from chronicles of narnia so i i rapidly fell in love with um Science fiction and fantasy, both. So I started reading these, and I actually read Lord of the Rings before I read The Hobbit. Um, because I didn't understand. I was like, what is the deal with this ring?
0: It's like, <laughs> it's like a Seinfeld
3: bed. What is the deal with these rings? Throwing them <laughs> in the volcanoes. Um, so I I read that and I don't think I actually ever read Return of the King. I don't I don't think I ever did. So I didn't really have anything to compare it to when the movie came out. Um mm-hmm. but you start thinking about. When those movies came out, and they're they're not only so far after the source material, but have been iterated upon so much, bad animated series, other books, um, kind of some movies, but like Peter Jackson was like, watch this, you know, hold my beer, and I'm going to make a huge epic, you know, probably too long, like Lord of the Rings does not need, could could be a three hour movie, and he made it. We you
2: know, yeah, we would argue 15. the same. Yeah, <laughs> The
3: Hobbit was like that's a shorter book. Uh, I was like, nah, let's do three movies.
1: Yeah, that's everyone's complaint. They're like, why is it three movies? It's rather short, and it's a children's book.
3: (laughs) Peter found the utters and just milked it. Um, (laughs) So, flash forward to um, like, I mean, 30 years later or whatever, and I get a gig, and um, it's for this um, character named Malbeth. And it was just a VO gig, and it was on the Warner Brothers lot, and I walked in, and um, they was at this for,
2: point, had you already been doing that type yeah, of work? or Yes.
3: Yeah, so okay. this had been my gig. So I, I started um, like in 2002, 2003, and I got my first game because a buddy of mine was like, hey, do you want to talk on a microphone and, and we'll give you money for it? I was like, okay. And yeah. it's like, it's for a video game. And I said, okay. And I just kept doing it. Um, so this is like um, 2000, I guess 2013, 14 maybe. At this point. And this game is really, really cool, but it's all going to be VO. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of, this is interesting. It's a, you know about a, a hero, but he's you know, like, he's a father and he loses his son and there's all this stuff. And then the game just goes away and I don't hear anything about it for the longest time. And then they come back and they're like, okay, so we're going to keep you on, but your character's completely changed. The story is completely changed. And um, this game is not going to be full performance capture And we think we're going to test it. And if it works, then we're going to do like five weeks of shooting a video game in like a condensed amount of time. Normally, like in a game like The Last of Us, we shot that over the course of two and a half years. And we would shoot. Yeah. Typically, we would shoot once a month. We would shoot. We would rehearse one day and we would shoot two days. And in those two days, we could shoot 10 to 15 pages um, cause you can typically do seven to eight pages in, in a given day, maybe more depending upon what the setup is like. Cause you don't have turnaround. You don't have coverage. You don't have to like change your camera setup or your lighting setup. Oh, so
2: is it, you're filming yourself as well. It's, it's a voiceover thing, but it's also a physical thing.
3: So performance capture like built upon what motion capture did back in the early two thousands and, and, and the mid aughts. Which was, hey, if we put this funny suit on people and these shiny balls all over their body, Uh. these cameras can track that movement in a very skeletal way. And then we can Uh apply that movement to our character model. And lo and behold, you have more natural movements inside of a video game.
2: That's interesting, though, because I didn't know that it was, is it typical that the character, the voice of the character is also the actor embodying the character?
3: Depends. Like yeah. in a game like Arkham Origins or, or, or the Arkham games, which were wildly successful, Kevin Conroy is the, we're staying within the Wonder Brothers franchise. We're good. Um, <laughs> Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill uh, will forever and always be Batman and the Joker, respectively. Uh, Kevin Conroy, as tall as he is and as brilliant of an actor as he is, is not Bruce Wayne. So he, Bruce Wayne and Batman is like seven foot tall. So there's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like six, seven, something like that. And he's got to do a lot of physicality. Um, Mark Hamill is not going to do a lot of the physicality for the Joker. So what they ended up doing was shooting all the, the motion capture and then um, basing that off of what the performances for Kevin and Mark were. Cool. So, but a lot of times, a lot of games that like Cyberpunk is doing this and and a lot of these games that are coming out now... Um, Last of Us uh, included. And really what The Last of Us did was was building upon the, the pipeline that Naughty Dog had, which was we're going to shoot this like a movie. So our actors are going to be our actors all the way through. Um, we're going to build sets for them. We're going to allow them to be able to really interact with their environment and inv- interact with other actors. And then we will take that and then we will apply our character models and our environments and all those to it. And you will have a very cinematic feel for for these for these games because they're really narratively driven,
4: mm-hmm. um,
3: so it's our face, it's it's our it's our voice, it's our movements, our, our everything. We shoot it like a movie. The only thing that's different, it's kind of like what they're doing with the Mandalorian, you know, it's they're not actually on, you know, not Hoth, but they're not actually on Tatooine or anything. They're they're it's a digital screen, and then they're overlaying that on on, on top of it. So it's just a really cool way that that technology has been able to mm-hmm. utilize that. So we did the same thing with Shadow of Mordor. Um, the thing was, it was going to be this huge open world, um, procedurally generated game, meaning your game could be different than my game. Um, so Mm. there was this, there was this narrative that was baked in, that was built upon, um, Lord of the Rings, but it was also going to be wildly different. And we had to get permission for everything to the point where I remember one, uh, one time there was like, um, my character Talion went from Malbeth to Talion, um, was like trying to beckon a soldier to come over. And he said, you know, come here. I was like, why don't I say his name? It was like, oh, you want to give him a name? You want to give him a name? How about this? How about we reach out to Saul who's the purveyor or the, the, the holder of the Tolkien estate? And then we yeah. ask Peter Jackson what he thinks. Then we ask Warner Brothers what <laughs> they think. And we get <laughs> approval because you want to call him Phil. I was like, oh, yeah. all right. He's like, because <laughs> everything that we did had to either become or be checked against canon.
1: Yeah. Oh, how wild. So a lot of is now work.
3: Canon. Yes, it's a lot of work. And for at the Shadow of Mordor was written and directed uh by Christian Contemessa who came from the um uh, Rockstar Red Dead team, so Red Dead Redemption, um brilliant open world western game. He had this conceit for for what he wanted this to be, which is a story about a man who loses everything. Um and the the kind of typical anti-hero, I didn't want to be be this, but this is what I must now be. And and your curse actually becomes your power. So what's funny is there was all of this stuff that we shot for this game, that you talk about editing it down to a two and a half hour <laughs> thing. We cut about an hour's worth of movie out of our game uh mm-hmm. before we even shipped it. Um that explained so much and really helped establish to me who who Talian was. Um, and and he's why this, was it cut? There's a there's a phrase in music where A and R reps used to say, uh, "Don't bore us, get to the chorus." And mm-hmm. there's mm. a lot of people that.
2: That's why we like WAP.
3: <laughs> <was wow. laughs> oh,
1: yikes! Much like. Biopic and biopic. I say WOP. Yeah, I can. I think I can go either way. We, um, don't want or to we could say anybody. wet ass pussy.
3: <laughs> wet ass. Pussy. <laughs> I <laughs> the, th- the thing about it is that I, I believe that um, a lot of films, a lot of games, a lot of shows. Um, David Milch says you can operate out of fear or faith, and as a creator, his job is to allow actors to move around that fear and operate in a place of faith. And I, I believe the same thing applies for, for games or for films or anything else, especially when you're talking about an established franchise, like Lord of the Rings. There's so much that people are going, mm-hmm. better get it right. Um, and you're just All automatically, right. I wish people could have seen the terrible face that I just made.
2: It was a petulant <laughs> child.
3: It was a very petulant <laughs> child um, with a very Jim Carrey face. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> The 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 notion that says um we just want to get people to the action, um, to me is is I like delaying it. You know, I'm I'm a foreplay. Let's go. Let's we'll, we'll get there, but let's let's get to know each other a little bit. And what we started up Jack Quaid um played hey, I know Jack. Yeah, Jack Quaid played my son. Um I knew that Jack was a huge video game nerd. And I had a mutual friend with him. And I was like, hey, um, who's Jack with? And I was like, this agent. I was like, okay. I was like, I want to reach out and I want to see if we can't get Jack in here. So Jack came in and I was like, dude, are you? He was like, holy crap. I'm like, it's all good. Do you think you can play my son? He was like, yeah. So we had this, his audition scene was this brilliant um, sword fight scene between he and I. And it's just this kind of like tit for tat back and forth, a father trying to show some tough love. And Jack crushed it. Um, and I wanted to bring it back cause I ended up directing the sequel, um, which was a huge, I should not have started off directing a, that big of a game. That's, that's, that's a, that's a, how huge does that
2: happen? Like for, for you in that situation, like you to go from acting within it to directing it,
3: we sat down with a team. And they, they brought me up very early on and I was very, I like to be very involved. I'm not a guy that waits in my trailer and just kind of waits to be handed sides or walks to set. I'm, I'm like, I've always been the guy that my first movie I was walking over to sound. I was like, what does that do? And walking over to the key grip, I'm like, what is your job? I just wanted to know what everything was. I've, I've mm-hmm. always been a very um, studious kind of person.
2: Well, and I think just as we're both actors, Nicole and I, that like when you are in these positions, when you're on set, nothing is explained to you. So it's truly like it's such a mysterious way that everything works and you are often just shuttled into one situation. And you're like, I guess I'll slowly start to figure out what everyone here is doing. But that makes sense to walk around and, you know, take it all in.
3: Some people like that. Some people are like, don't tell me about anything. I don't want to be aware of it. I just want to go in. I want to do my thing and, be, and, and, and get out. Yeah. Me, I'm always like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a person who's driven by passion, but my passions are fueled by knowledge. So once I learn, it's like, oh, that's cool. I wonder if I, I, wonder if I can do that. Um, and I think I spent a lot of my youth avoiding challenges and avoiding adversity. So that now I'm like, oh, man. It's like I didn't, I never worked out as a kid. And I, I've got a two-year-old boy, and I'm 44. So I gotta stay alive, and I gotta stay healthy for this kid. And so now I'm like, now I'm I'm finally what, what most people were doing. When they were in their 20s. I'm trying to do in my 40s. And it's like I I want to get fit. I want to be healthy. And so I'm I'm now learning how to embrace that that kind of mm-hmm. adversity and embra- embrace those kind of challenges. So I, I went up and I, and I met with um, after we shipped the first game, and it lit- Shadow of Mordor. That team is Monolith is is a tremendous studio. Michael Deplatter is is if you want to know anything about Lord of the Rings, that guy he could he could literally teach a, a he could be a professor of this. <laughs> um, and they actually brought in um, there are people that that have their doctoral thesis. Like they 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 are professors of Tolkien. Wait, um, really? Absolutely. Um, and they can tell you, they can break everything down for you. And they had this person that was a technical advisor on everything. And even Michael de Platt would be like, "Actually, you're wrong," because he's he just knows everything. He knows the full compendium wow. of Tolkien's work. And he said, "By the way, just to let you know," I said, "Cause I, yeah, I love Lord of the Rings." And he goes, "Cool, you need to read the Silmarillion." I was like, "Hmm." He's like, "Yeah, this is the one that is like an appendices too that takes place, kind of like even before and then in the middle of, and that's where we're gonna we're we're, we're before." Lord of the Rings and after the Hobbit. So we are like this middle ground of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And so I started reading the Silmarillion, which is not that big of a book. But if you've ever read like Matthew, the book of Matthew in the Bible, it's like, or Deuteronomy, something like is like, this is not haven't ever meant to be it, read, I but... haven't, haven't read <laughs> the book, <laughs> read, read like the, the, Am- I I've, I have I've what's heard the, some of the cliff notes. What's the, what's the new thing is like, I didn't read the book, but I I did this one little, it's like spark or whatever it's called. It's some like new app that you can like give them oh, basically, spark notes? is that what it's called?
2: Well, spark notes, we used to, I mean, I definitely used that in high school. It's like cliff notes, but it's called spark notes. I think it's literally the same thing. There's some I'm sure thing. they have an app now that you can be, or it's
3: like blink know, sneakily... I think it's, or blinkist. Maybe oh, that's what's called. Blinkist. It's like I, I, you don't need to read it. You don't need to read it. You can just yeah, Blinkist. Blinkist is like is like we'll just give you the give high you the level gist. gloss. Yeah, we'll give you the gist. <laughs> but it's it reads just like it is. It is so dense and and um, there's so much lore knowledge in it and and just the the the, the terms alone that the lexicon is just like woof. It's hard to read. So it's not like this whimsical adventure. It sure. is like understanding where this world came from. Um, so I, I read that to understand kind of the world that we're in and a lot of the characters that take place within those two games, that's where they exist is within some, you know. um, but I went up to, um, after, after the, the first one came out, it was, and, and this is where I was going with that. It, it was when they shipped that game, it was with the last one out, please turn off the lights because they were not, they thought they were, they were done, um, it was not necessarily like tracking to be this huge success and that that was going to shut down the studio. And lo and behold, it became this runaway hit because people started creating their own stories out of it. They were, because what would happen is you would be fighting these orcs and then this one guy would just sucker punch you. And he was like the guy that got coffee for everybody. He's like this low level grunt. (laughs) And because he killed you, the game says he should be promoted. And so now He's higher than even your ranking was and so you're like oh, I'm gonna go kill that guy but now that you go find him again he's now stronger and he kills you again and so then he gets promoted again so you end up chasing this person that's just really a, a mechanic in the game and so people love this notion of this nemesis system that you were crafting and building your that's own cool. enemies mm-hmm. super super cool but inside of that is is this obviously this big story about um a guy who dies and is um this curse of this wraith uh, possesses him and together the two of them are able to be this kind of superhuman being that has the powers of a wraith and an elf and also the power of a, a mortal man. So that's, that's how you're able to fight the way that you are and, you know, do all this cool shit. So, um, and then ultimately it's about trying to battle Sauron, um, like everybody else is, but of course you can't beat him because that would preclude all of the Lord of the Rings from happening. Mm-hmm. So it's like this really weird, how do we do this dance? But we did it. The game came out and it just like swept the awards, um, did gangbuster numbers, um, especially for a game. It, it, it did really, really, really well. So they brought me up. I was like, we're going to do a sequel. I was like, okay. And it was like, we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction narratively. We want to lean more into the narrative that we're doing. Um, we have a couple different people that were thinking about direct this. I was like, okay, who are you thinking about? It's like, well, this guy or this this woman who you know, they did an episode of Breaking Bad or they did an episode of Vikings. I was like, cool, cool, cool. I was like, you guys have really cast a great vision for this. They're like, yeah. I was like, I mean, you kind of know where this thing needs to go and the rails that this train is on. They're like, right. It's like, that's not really what, a, I mean, a director is going to want to come in and, and really cast vision for this. And sometimes episodic TV, it's like showrunner is the one who leads that. But mm-hmm. I mean, really, you, what do you want? Is like, well, we want someone that can really speak to actors and and really help bring those performances you know, to life and 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 understand where we're coming from and, and how this is all going to fit. And I was like, well, that's not a coach. That's a quarterback. And they said, well, a quarterback is another player on the field. And I went, hmm. And so then there was like, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens when you do it. And I learned a lot because I walked yeah. on as a quarterback to that field trying to be a coach. And that will get your team fucked.
4: And that will get <laughs> your
3: team to lose. And, Finally, towards the end, I realized that I was a quarterback, but more than anything, I was just another player on the field. And I had a a huge team behind me that supported me that was really, really smart. That's why you have an offensive coach and a defensive coach. And you've got all of these people on the sidelines with all of this wisdom and expertise and knowledge that are communicating that to the players on the field. And then just leaving the people on the field to do what they are inherently good at. Yeah. Um, So it took me two years, uh, but I learned a lot and I got to work with, um, some friends and some incredible talented performers. And we, we crafted a great story. We, 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 I I learned a lot about camera language and, and how to direct and everything. But ultimately the coolest part of all of it is that that kid who was nine years old when he first pulled that book, that dusty book off of a, off a shelf had no idea that three decades later. He was going to be standing on a stage and actually crafting and, and helping to create lore that would add to the book that he held in his hand.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. That is very cool. It's funny. Cause like growing up, I'd watch comedies and be like, one day I'll do a spit take. And then I get to do a spit take. <laughs> like, I've never done anything epic or cool.
3: <laughs> that, no, is, though.
1: that is epic. That is
3: epic. But the beauty of the story of the Lord of the Rings is it is about lost and found. It's about returning something that wasn't yours to its rightful place. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and everything that that encompasses, um, that's restoring order. That is um, oh, good overcoming evil, all of it. But it's just such a beautiful—that's it, that, why it's like, well, I haven't done anything really epic. I'm like, the spit take is epic. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, standing up on a stage and holding a a, a, a spit-covered dirty mic in front of six people— that's epic. When you finally get to do it, Here, here's my story of being a, a stand-up comic. Oh. Oh, you're a stand-up? Two stories. No, no, no. <laughs> two stories. One, uh, one night, we were at this place called Jack's Half Yard House in in uh, in Dallas, Texas, off of Greenville. And I was right on the edge of the stage, and it was a half- I'm sorry, Ben's Half Yard House. Ben. Made half yards, okay? So it's it's one and a half feet of beer. Uh Mm -hmm. And we would go there because on like Wednesday nights or whatever, it was, you know, dollar stupid drinks, whatever. So I had a couple of those in me, and I thought that I was real smart. And the guy that was up on stage was not doing well. He was dying. And he was like just reverting to anything that he could. And I said, and I just like went, oof. And I rolled, and he decided that was the perfect cue for him to start doing crowd work. And he was like, what, buddy? You think you could do better? And I said, brother, it wouldn't take much. (laughs) Ooh, goes the crowd, and he hands the mic to me. So I stupidly grab it, and I jump up on the mic, and I do my seven minutes of stupid. And... I keep waiting for them to kick me off. And the guy in the back just goes, keep going. The people are cracking up and I'm doing walk-in and just, it's just funny. And everyone's having a great time. Ha ha ha. And the guy comes up and he goes like, next week, come back. I'm giving you seven minutes. Do your thing. I was like, awesome. And I come back and I do note for note, the same jokes. Mm -hmm. Guess what happens?
2: You bomb. Eat shit
3: bomb, eat shit (laughs) crickets weren't even chirping they weren't going to give me anything it was bad, I could not get off the stage fast enough. and then I realized, what makes a comic a comic, is that not that he would be funny in that moment, but that he would get back on the stage, or she would get back on the stage and do it again, and again, and again and again, and make notes and understand what they did wrong, and what they could do better, and Craft was like, oh I'm not a comic, that's okay I can be funny, (laughs) yeah, yeah and that's the difference. So I, I have a lot of friends that, that, that do stand up and Pete being one of them uh, or Kumail. And I'm like, what you people do is I, I don't understand it. It is, it is just, it is so wickedly vulnerable. Um, it's, it's, it's one of the most interesting story ways of cathartic storytelling I've ever seen. It's brilliant.
1: Should we get into the Shire wire? So that's our new segment. Um, And there is, thank you, you. yes, there's an unseen work by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, and it'll be published next June. The Nature of Middle Earth will be in one volume edited by Carl F. Hosterl, who Mm. is one of the world's leading Tolkien experts and respected head of the Elfish Linguistic Fellowship, according to the publisher.
3: Cool.
2: And the book will transport readers back to the world of the Silmaril. Wait, say it again. Silmar- <laughs> Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Okay, good. We we're just talking about it. now. I can learn this word. Mm-hmm. Silmarillion, unfinished tales, and Lord of the Rings. It was said in a news release that Tolkien continued to write about Middle Earth in the decades that followed The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, right up until the years before his death in 1973. And the publisher, Houghton Milflin, states that this new collection is a veritable treasure trove, offering readers a chance to peer over Professor Tolkien's shoulder at the very moment of discovery. And on every page, Middle Earth is once again brought to extraordinary life.
1: Wow. Wow. How wild. What a treat for everybody. It is wild. So let's take a break.
2: Did you know nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had about, I don't know, 10 subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was actually paying for 15 subscriptions each month. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. So thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones that I forgot about. Cringe. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can see my spending habits, and plus it'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Isn't that amazing? Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com newcomers.
3: And we're back. Ah, I feel refreshed.
1: (laughs) Me too. That was a great break. We did a lot of stuff. We did, Mm -hmm. we did. I feel good. Should we jump into this?
2: Let's jump into it. We'll get a little deeper into Shadow of Mordor. So it was developed by Monolith Productions, as you mentioned, and published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment and released on September 30th, 2014. So we watched a video game, and Nicole, how did you feel about watching a video game?
1: Um, <laughs> it was a little tough, I will say. But so okay, I did. I was like skipping around because I was like, "What is happening?"
3: I, just just to put you in, a, in a perspective, if you watch two and a half hours of gameplay, including the cinematics and everything, I clocked over a hundred hours in Shadow of Mordor alone. I've clocked over well over a hundred hours. Actually, I've played the game twice. Shadow of War, I've played twice, and I've clocked over a hundred hours in each of those. So Dang. that's how much content you're you're literally getting. Like,
1: do you play theft. every game that you've been in? Because I was looking at your IMDb. You've been in an incredible. You've done an, an incredible amount of voice work on video yeah. games, and honestly, you're like the nerd, not trifecta, but like the nerd conglomerate because you've done <laughs> Marvel. You've done DC. DC. You've done. Uh, it's kind. Of, it's like it's really wild. Like Star Wars is up on there. So, do you play every single game that you do? You work on.
3: I try to, and not even just the games that, that I'm, I'm. playing a game, you know, right now that I'm not in um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's a. It's A, a lot more challenging as a dad. Um, and just like uh, I run my own business, you know. Fortunately, with with quarantine, there's been a lot of people that I I knew that was like I got cast on a show, and I was like I'm moving to Vancouver, and they come right back. I was like never mind because
0: <laughs> production
3: shut down. Sucks. Um, I'm I'm fortunate that I work in an industry of professional problem solvers where they looked at you know a bunch of video game nerds look at you know quarantine or, or COVID. And they go, that's just bad design. We can fix that. <laughs> um, and so we literally the day that lockdown happened, uh, my agent got a call from, you know, Warner Brothers, Sony, Disney, everybody was like, can you work from home? And I was like, yeah. So I beefed up my rig and and I've, I've been able to continue to work. There was even a game that we started doing performance capture uh, from, from Miles Morales. Oh, wow. Holy game. shit.
1: In your house?
3: We did face here. Um, Interesting, but we fortunately shot everything that we needed to shoot on the stage and then lockdown happened a buddy of mine that, that plays the lead in Valhalla um was shooting in Canada and he's mm-hmm. from Denmark and they went um they're closing the country and so they're like can you shoot to the rest of the week he was like nope and he flew out that day <laughs> and that was it
1: that's so funny what like network execs or like you just execs will say to people it's like okay so like uh things are bad the yeah, country's shutting the down but like, the world's burning shoot outside the end of the week and it's like <laughs> no dude like, no. no i have a life and a family i and also like, care about myself care about, yes
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> <Weird>. <laughs> how wild
3: i will say though that that i'm um, uh there's a shoot that i can't talk about yet but there was a shoot that actually was uh the first production that i know of that went back to work uh this summer that was like, we've got all of our COVID protocols in place. And um, fortunately we're, we were able to do it. And it was weird, but it was, I was, I was able to mm-hmm. be back on set again. Yeah.
2: We have both had a little bit of that experience and it's yeah. super weird. Like yeah, I, it feels kind of fun. Cause you're like, thank God I'm like around people. And it's like normal sort of, but then you also have like the fear in your mind. And I mean, even though everything is as safe as it can be,
1: it mm-hmm. still feels
3: I'm a hugger. unpredictable.
1: You can't yeah. hug, can't,
3: can't hug, can't
1: touch, can't hug. All be this, it's
3: all elbows now. Yeah, um, I
1: just get so worried about makeup artists on shows with younger people because Oh, that's a good point. Like young yeah. people? Like I don't know, when I was 20, if this happened when I was 20, like I would be bad. Totally. Like understand. I know for a fact oh that like friends would be like, "Nicole, you can't raw dog during the fan, the pandemic. And That's I'd be like, exactly
3: what it's it. like. It's like, ah, whatever. I, <laughs> I did
1: think about on. that.
2: Like if I was in high school, I yeah. cannot imagine that I just wouldn't go hang out with my friends,
3: but 30s. it's like, even yeah. my thirties. Like oh, I, yeah. I think, cause I, I was, a, I was a pretty, you know, um, I grew up late, I think <laughs> is mm-hmm. what it was. But like my twenties and my thirties, um, I, I still would have been a little stupid. It's just life experiences bring different perspective.
1: Yes. And mm-hmm. and with
3: that, I was like, oh, I think also just across the board, I wasn't, um, like my, my wife and I are, are super, uh, we're crazy quarantine, you know, like we mm-hmm. ad- admittedly, but it's also, I, I don't care. I, I've got, a, I like, I can't, like I said, I've got a boy that I got to keep safe. And mm-hmm. it, it's like, well, scientists are saying I like I don't give a fuck, man. I'm I'm not taking the chance. Yeah, because that's our how boy. I am. Yeah, Me it's, too. I
1: really don't. It's do like shit. I'd rather it's, just be dumb in in hindsight. Be like, oh, I guess I was overly cautious. than like, yes. throw caution to the wind. Right. And I agree. Be, insane. And I don't know.
3: We are. We, it has taught us how to be creative, and we're like, we do some cool shit. And where we we go on a lot of walks, and <laughs> we we go to the park and stuff. Um, and my my boy. Can tell you all of the Beatles and his favorite Beatles song. So Aww. we're doing. Oh, that's nice. Right. We were in the kitchen and we were singing "Hey Jude" together. He's two. Oh,
1: that's cute. I
3: lost it. He's he's awesome. Like look up Aww. look up pictures of my boy. He's like he's got this long blonde hair. He's like total <laughs> like, um, Kelly Slater vibe. He's just he's dope. he's
1: cool and hip. Yeah.
3: He's How totally did you meet
1: dope. your wife? That has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. But as a uh, woman dude. who's single, she's always curious. It is. <laughs> And is she into video games, too?
3: No, not at all. My wife is a photographer. She's a brilliant photographer. And so she got hit super hard by quarantine. And and her and her 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 partner have, like, found a way to be creative. And um, it's really inspiring because there's a whole generation of people that this could be, like, marriage was already kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe not. And now it's kind of like, maybe we don't need to do this. People that were going to get married are like, fuck it. Maybe we're just going to mm-hmm. just do our own little thing. And big weddings are, are kind of like fallen by the wayside. We had a very small wedding comparatively, we like 70 people at our wedding. And we, we were like ending friendships to get people off of our <laughs> list. Like, we wanted to feel small and intimate. Um, but we're both from Texas. We both um, uh, grew up in Dallas and we moved out to L.A. within weeks of each other. And we knew a lot of the same people in Dallas. Um, we knew a lot of the same people in LA. And we did not meet until five years of living here. And we were at a mutual friend's birthday party and we looked across the room. We're like, who is that? And our friend went like total cock block. They were like, absolutely not. Because <laughs> it was either perfect or it was like, it will mm, end gonna the be a disaster. Yeah. And we like just went whoop and went around her. And I told her straight up, I was like, look, I think you're cool, but this is never ending in marriage and we are never having kids.
1: Wow. And How you rude. were wrong. <laughs> but I guess I, I she proved so you wrong. wrong. She's, She's like, like okay. not only am I going to marry you, we're going to have a cool ass kid. Cool ass kid. <laughs> and that's probably a perfect impression of your wife's voice. It is. I mean, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: was like, honey?
1: You're like, is she here? <laughs>
3: she is literally in my ear.
1: Uh, I have a question. Please. Are you a fan of Gollum? just to bring it <laughs> back to lord of the so, rings
3: yeah <clears throat> so here's what i love about gollum and and my my kind of view of gollum was always he was like the plucky sidekick of of the lord of the rings and he was oh. and in a lot of ways peter jackson it, he's not he's a tragic character right he is, we he find is him the repulsive, but yes. harbinger of of doom
2: mm-hmm.
3: um he is there but for the grace of god go i um but i think with a lot of what peter jackson did he was like He's the Jar Jar, you know, a little bit of like he's or the Yoda, depending upon how you want to look at it. Like he is, he is the um, comedic relief at times. He is the here's we can we can put him on a T shirt. He's he becomes <laughs> a, 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 the mascot for for Lord of the Rings, and that's kind of how I always understood him. Um, and then Liam O'Brien, who played Gollum, the first day on set. Um, Liam auditioned. Liam is a brilliant actor, writer, director, like in his own right. And he auditioned just like everybody else did. And he came on set and for the first game. And we were at Manhattan beach studios, uh, which is where they shot avatar and a whole bunch of other mm-hmm. stuff. And he pulls out of his backpack and he was like, I just want to show you this. And he walked the to, the to the director and he was like, this is who's on set today. And it was his, Child book version of the Hobbit, like the illustrated book, and he was like, "I read this to my son every night. This is the one that I read, and this is the guy that made me fall in love with everything nerdy." And so I got to re- be reintroduced to who Gollum is through Liam O'Brien and through his world perspective or his worldview of that character. And Liam, like Andy, we've all seen what Andy Circus does, and Andy Circus mm-hmm. is just you know he is the penultimate performance capture guy or whatever. Um, I would put Liam, I I would choose Liam for Gollum over Andy Serkis any day.
0: day.
2: It's interesting hearing, like, I think it's really cool how, um, it sounds like the people that you've worked with on these games are so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And that's really neat. Just thinking about like down to every element of creating this thing, you know, everyone is, seems to have such a strong connection to the material, which is really cool. I, I don't think like that's helps. always the case with projects in general. Mm-hmm.
3: But Look, I, I worked with Norman Reedus on uh, Death Stranding, and Norman has got one of the best work ethics of anybody in this industry I've ever seen. Like, that guy is just—his his commitment to work is inimitable. It, he, he is unstoppable. He's always working, always, always, always working. And he's not a gamer, and he had no idea when they're like— think about this when you show up on set and if let's say you're doing a period piece or whatever and it's like, okay, you obviously it's 20, whatever. And, but we're going to put you in this like, you know, 19th century Victorian thing. And here's your wig, here's your dress, here's the the horse in the stable. And we're going to put you in this. So all of a sudden, like, you can kind of like trick your mind into actually being in there when you do Performance capture is like, okay, so here's your spandex suit that mm-hmm. looks terrible on everybody. <laughs> here's a little hockey helmet that has these, these metal bars that come out six inches from your face with a camera on it. Um, that if you bump into another actor, that blows the whole take. Here's oh, some wow. Apple boxes, you know, for, for that's your motorcycle, you uh-huh. know, and whatever. And it's like, you're just in this blank white space that's very off-putting and everything yeah. that normally informs you and informs your performance is, is literally working against you. So it is, it, it became this, um, what do you quintessentially understand about this character that nobody else does? And that's the only thing you have. That's your handhold on to the character to, to move you through this. So it, it helps to understand like as a gamer, I'm like, I just don't, I, I know what it's like to hold the controller and go, this is dumb. So I don't ever want to do that. So what right. can I do as an actor or what can I do as a director or what can I do as a writer to go, let's avoid those pitfalls. Um, so that's, the, it does definitely help to me to, again, knowledge fuels my passion. So whatever I have knowledge of, it's going to help hopefully uh, make me more passionate and more connected to the material.
2: Yeah, well, it makes sense. I mean, this this game won a ton of awards, or mm-hmm. um, it won the GameSpots Game of the Year Award, Best Action Adventure Game Awards from Game Raider, IGN, and The Escapist. It was the winner of the South by Southwest Gaming Awards, Excellence in Gameplay, Animation, and Design and Direction. And that's just a small sample of the dozens of other awards attached to this game, including Troy being nominated for Best Performance by the Game Awards in Ooh. 2014. Congratulations. So it paid off. Um <laughs> and hardcore gamer also nominated Troy's performance for something known as the Troy Baker Award. Now, are you aware <laughs> that there's an award incredible. named after you?
3: And what is that about? It's look, there's a basement, and <laughs> they there's some punch that's served, and <laughs> it's it's that's all that. the The thing that I loved is I remember being at. Um, the Dice Awards, um, which is the uh, AIAS, which is the uh, Association of Interactive Sciences, I think, um, is, is like a uh, a peer award. So it's it's there's there's like the Game Awards is there's a panel of people that are brought together, and a lot of it is done kind of like the um, the foreign press, where it's like that's who judges the for the Emmys or whatever. But this is like. Hey, these are people inside your industry. These are these are fellow developers, fellow video game makers, and they're judging your work. And so, Dice, um, we swept the Dice Awards uh, when it came out. Uh, everything but Game of the Year, which is really really funny. We were all there. It was like, here we go, guys. The Game of the Year goes to somebody else. <laughs> we're like, what? Um, but like the Game Awards, which is is actually happening this week uh, with with uh, Jeff Keighley. Mm. Um, that is that is something that the, the, the reason why I love awards. Um, is because, especially within this industry, there is a quantifiable, measurable um, thing that can happen because of an award. it's um, so like, if you're an actor and you win an Oscar, you, your, your agent that day is going, well, his quote or his, her quote just went up. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, that doesn't really matter for, for actors within this. It's like, doesn't matter. It's like, I, I've won. I've been nominated. I'm looking over. I've been nominated for three BAFTAs. Um, I've been nominated three times for the Game Awards and never... Never won one. It, it, those things don't really... Because it doesn't change your work, right? Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. like all of a sudden your work becomes incredible. Whether you're an actor, a director, a writer, designer, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's like your work is your work. And you toiled on it passionately and endlessly because that's what you you had to do. You were compelled to do that by, by your volition and your passion. Um, but for a studio like Monolith, um, the reason why we were able to do... Shadow of War was because of the awards that we won for Shadow of Mordor. Mm-hmm. So now we've got, you know, your Metacritic is kind of like Rotten Tomatoes for, for video games. Mm-hmm. And the Metacritic, um, it, it, when a game ships at a Metacritic of whatever, that's because review, a review version of the game has, has come out uh, for people in the press and so like GamesRadar, GameSpot, IGN, um, whomever, they're, they're going to get a copy of this game and they're going to review it. And then they're going to say, we give this game a 87, 89, 94, whatever. Um, and then as it gets released to the public, everybody else with a keyboard um, and an opinion gets to weigh in on that. And so typically what happens is your Metacritic ships at this and then it plummets mm-hmm. because people just will review bomb it and they'll go, it was, it gave it a... There was a Death Stranding came out. Hideo Kojima, the game that I did with um, Norman Reedus, and it uh, it was either a hundred or zero <laughs> people either loved <laughs> so, it or hated it. Ridiculous. It's so stupid. Um, so the the awards are for, for me are kind of like I I I wrestled with that dragon and I, I chased after it for the longest time, and now it's it's more. I want the game to win awards because there's a lot of people like in the in the case of monolith there were 200 220 people I think at, at monolith at that time 180 to 220 I think, was when we scaled up that worked really 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 hard on that game and I want them to get the recognition for their work because they're a, a a credit scrawl you know mm-hmm. they, they don't get the the they don't get asked to do podcasts they, they don't get to um you know, Entertainment Tonight doesn't want to talk about the the QA people at, at Monolith that worked far more hours on a game than I did, um, or the people that, that know way more about Lord of the Rings um, trivia than I do, because they're not as sexy. they're they're, they're not as you know they you can't. I'm not saying I'm sexy. I'm saying like the <laughs> position is not as sexy, <laughs> no, right? Uh, people t- by and large want to talk to the the above the line people as opposed, but it's really the the mm-hmm. below the line people that make it make it happen.
2: I think that's true yeah, in I many agree. areas of this business. Sure.
1: So Dan Stapleton of IGN wrote the story, uh, introduced memorable characters, but would not make sense to fans of the series. Do you think that the game was easy enough to follow for fans of the franchise?
3: Yes. The problem is, is that we went in knowing, like the first trailer that we put out for... um we call it the she trailer. It was going to be the big reveal that our that our big bad or the character that we were like, oh my God, they were bringing in with she You know she mm-hmm. right? The spider. Okay, you do. Do you know how many people didn't? Yes,
1: this is Lauren's favorite character.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm very scared of the spider.
3: <laughs> so here's what's great. Um, yeah, she appeared in my fan fiction. Yeah, people who saw, especially Return <laughs> of the King, know who she Lob is. Uh, but they're like the spider, but it's like, our um our version of Shelob um was not was not She Um Pollyanna McIntosh she was also on walking. That's Dead. a great name. She's great. Scottish. And yeah, she's a good in. name. Pollyanna. Here's how good she was. So we were auditioning, and I really there there was three people that I really wanted for for She And so um before there was Zoom, we FaceTimed with Polly. And I was like, I thought she knew that she was. This is what she was doing, and um, she didn't. She didn't know that she was auditioning. <laughs> she had stepped out. She was. She had gone to the movies with a friend, and she stepped out. And in the lobby of the uh, of of the movie theater, on her phone, is when she did her callback.
1: Wow! Oh, how I love wild! That.
3: With me, like now you're like, yeah, you just audition over Zoom.
2: Well, yeah, it's not. Yeah, mm-hmm. now it feels a little less crazy, but that would never happen.
3: She, and she and she nailed it. I was like, guys, that we have to just just offer her the role. This is I this love is
1: actors one. because normal people would be like, oh, we should probably reschedule at a time where I'm not at the movies. And actors <laughs> like, I might get a job. I will do a soliloquy in front of the Vista. And here <laughs> she was. She was like.
3: Ranger, you have no idea. She's just like given <laughs> wow, to me. Wow, I love it. I love, I it. Like, I
1: love actors. Mm. Yeah, that's
2: really cool.
3: She crushed it. Um, and she came in, and she was someone who had never done this before, and she just threw herself into it. And she was, she was incredible. She was really, really incredible. She brought this. But anyway, we, we had this whole trailer that was like, boom, y'all, what's up? And they're like, who's that? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this people like that's not who Shelob was and we're like yeah and then you have people who don't know who she is so I, what I loved about what, what Shadow the, the whole Shadow of Mordor or, or, or that those Middle Earth games what they did was they showed you a version of this world and these characters like you a lot of people knew who Celebrimbor was and they had huge problems with the fact that we had Celebrimbor in our game You're like that doesn't make sense and there's like weird time jumps that we could do and so, even though this was checked against again, people that were holders of the lore, um, there was still a lot of people that were like, hmm, "No, I'm like it's a <laughs> it's a game." If guys. from
2: what we've explored um, in like learning about this franchise, that's very common mm-hmm. with every single thing that comes out related to Lord of the Rings. So it's not
3: as bad as Star Wars, um, <laughs> but it's it, it is like on a level of because there are people that are academics of it, and there there are literally people that have, like I said, they have they have like doctorates in this. Yeah. Um and not only that but, but because of what Tolkien did um and how well he um like Joseph Campbell looks at Tolkien and goes I'm I'm just breaking down and showing you what this was. It's not that Joseph Campbell came up with anything. He just simply pointed out the um the patterns. Like the the whole cambellian hero's journey thing is 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 just him going, "Huh." Do you know that this is what this does and and what tolkien did was so was such a great example of of that hero's journey and 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 bringing about the best parts of us in in and understanding that it's it's through adversity that we grow and it's you cannot grow without adversity and that hope is only born out of despair it's mm-hmm. it's just this beautiful poetic everything has and the, the, to also understand that C S Lewis and Tolkien were like you know they they were contemporaries of each other and they, mm-hmm. they yeah. wrestled with each other and Tolkien Wait went, like literally? Yeah, like literally wrestled. <laughs> like Greco-Roman style They were like let's just get naked. Let's just um yeah, that 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 Tolkien had rejected the systems that C S Lewis was wrestling with and just how the two of them um, C.S. Lewis was still holding onto the ring and I think um, Tolkien was able to throw it into, too. Um,
1: into the volcano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we've come to the end. Thank you so much for being here, Troy. Yeah, thank you My so much pleasure. for sharing your experience. It was truly so interesting to learn about like video games and motion capture. I truly had no idea that the voice actors did that like I don't know it's really yeah. interesting it's do cool. you have anything that you want to plug
3: oh man um if like we talked about this at the very very beginning but if there's uh if you guys have a desire especially for things like I love what you guys are talking about as far as let's let's discover things together we're doing the same thing um with this platform or later that that I have on uh on YouTube it's just my name, youtube.com forward slash Troy Baker. And every Saturday we watch a movie that someone hasn't seen before and we get to share in that communally. Um, we're doing cool things like every Sunday we get together and we have like a creative prompt where someone comes up with a theme and people have 30 minutes to find a way to creatively express that. And we do it together. Oh, that's Um, awesome. And then we're doing writer's room. We're doing like a book club. It's like so especially in this time of quarantine, we're finding that we're social animals. We need to do stuff together. Um, but more than anything, it's it's we either want to be entertained together, we want to be educated together, but ultimately it's just about having community. So those are kind of the three things that, uh, that we're doing with that. But I clearly, if it wasn't um, <laughs> abundantly clear, I love talking about the things with which I am impassioned. And I, I appreciate the opportunity for you guys to let me tell my tales because I I really do enjoy loving it.
1: Thank really you. Really enjoy, love
3: doing well, it. You. There we go. <laughs> I, that one. I, I mean, <laughs> I got it. I, I got really, it.
1: Too. Cool. <laughs> I thought it was great. Nicole, do you have anything you want to plug? Mm. Oh boy. Do I ever. I'm, um, uh, I have a Patreon uh, for my 90 day fiance podcast, 90 day Bay. Also uh, there are no new episodes of nailed it holiday because of the pandemic. So you can still stream the old holiday episodes. And just I'm in pretend. one of them. Yes, Lauren is in one. Lauren is so funny in it. We that was really fun. A giant piece of Rice Krispie at one time. <laughs> it's it's fun. You guys should watch it. I Lauren, agree. What do you want to promote? I
2: have my Patreon as well. You can check out and um. Well, it's it's the holiday season, so I would say yes. watch happiest season. My uh, friend Mary Holland co wrote it with. Clea Duvall and she stars in it and Mary is so funny in it it's truly delightful she's so good and I'm in it for a brief cameo so if oh it's fine and I'm just plugging it from um because everyone should watch what Mary made I think it's so great and it's a nice way to get into the spirit of the season
1: it is I watched it uh before my or my December 1st uh that's when I can start watching Christmas movies but I watched it when it came out because you know, me too. Streams count.
2: I know. Now I feel like I have to watch it again because yes, I'm same. I I, I got it. And now I'm more in the Christmas <laughs> mindset. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, and we have our Battle of the Five Stars segment where we read five star reviews. So if you are listening and you want to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, you will get a chance to have it read on air. And this one is from Megan M5 on Apple Podcasts. And it says, thank you for the gift of a podcast. As a casual viewer and someone who's fallen asleep during multiple Star Wars slash Lord of the Ring films, (laughs) I appreciate that my opinions are affirmed by this podcast. (laughs) I also had to rate after the most recent fan fiction episode, Shireware, because my world and this podcast collided. As someone in the space career field, I can provide some non-official context for the Atlas V rocket with elvish phrases. What it comes down to is the space career field is full of nerds. That's it, just a bunch of nerds getting to pick the theme of a space launch. (laughs) Thanks for creating this podcast. I look forward to it every week. Thank you, Megan M5. So thank you so much, Trey. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Toodaloo,
1: bitches.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was a HeadGum Original.